we are um, picking up in the middle of a series that we've been in starting last week on Isaiah chapter 55. And uh, we're going to spend three weeks just looking at this one chapter. And the reason that we're doing this is because I think we're about to step into a really exciting season as a, as a family and lots of great things coming on the horizon. But before we step into the things that are coming in, in the fall, I, I just thought that God wanted us to kind of slow down and to really prepare us as a family. You know, so often in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, if you go back and you read through, um, what you discover is that before God leads his people into something new, so often that, that he brings them into this place where he calls them back to himself. And he reminds them of who he is and he reminds them of who they are. And, and he has this way of, of calling them all the way back into his heart to, to refresh them, to rescind them, to remind them of the purposes that he has for them. So um, in, in, in last week, we, we, we started out and we looked at the first six verses and the whole idea was God just looking at people and he was saying, come, come to me. That if, if you look at your life and you're, and you're not where you want to be spiritually, if you look at the way that you're living and you're not being the type of person that you know God has created you to be, last week the call was just to come, to come all the way back into the heart of God, to receive, to be refreshed by his presence. And so last week we gathered here and we talked about this idea of come and then I challenged us as a church family, hey, would you take one day this next week and would you set it aside just to, to fast and to pray? to pray for you, to pray for our church family, to pray for our city, that, that we would come all the way back to God. That we wouldn't just go through the motions, we would, we'd be tired of just playing this game, but that we would come before the Lord and we'd say, you know what, God, you haven't had my whole heart. I've been, I've been hiding, I've been pretending. We, we want you to, to have all of us, not just me, but our church family and our city. And so last week, the invitation was to come. And if you didn't pray, you didn't fast this past week, or you didn't know about it, that's okay. We're gonna have another chance this upcoming week to do that. But last week, the idea is the invitation was to come, and this week, the invitation is to see. That as we jump into verses 7 through 11, my hope for us this morning is that we would see clearly the God that we serve, that we would see clearly the love that he actually has for us. And so in verse 7 that Jack just read, it says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. And, and you have to remember that we didn't start here in verse seven because it sounds t- kind, of, kind of tough if we start there, but we have to remember the first six verses where, where, where Isaiah is receiving these words from the Lord and he's passing it along to a group of people who just want to be God's people. And remember how we started out last week, the first of this chapter says, if you're thirsty, if you're not where you want to be, If you're drinking everything that the world has given to you and you realize that you're not satisfied, come to me. He says, come, buy, and eat, even though you can't pay for it. Come and receive, even though you can't pay for it. And we go, man, how how can you receive something? How can you buy something that you don't even have what you need to pay for it? What we talked about is this idea that the price has been paid, not by us, but by someone else. And what we see in this beautiful chapter is that what God wants to give us is himself. And Holly, God wants nothing more than for you to be able to hear him and to see him and for you to live the entirety of your life for his glory. Like that is what God wants for you, Mitchell. For Jake and for Nancy, that what he wants for us is to be people who are just so just concerned with God and God's heart and who know who we are. God wants that for us. And he knows that so often we get thirsty 
because we will go looking for God. We don't know it, maybe we wouldn't say it like that, but we're looking to be satisfied. We're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for it in all the wrong places. And so he says, if you're, if you're empty, come to me. And what we discover, what you discover as you step into this relationship with God that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> as you start hearing God, you know, this is the journey of a follower of Jesus. As you start seeing God, your heart just starts to swell for God. This desire to, to, to live your life in a way that pleases God, this, this, this grows in you. And there's something that as we see God for who he is, that we just want more of God. He calls us into deeper waters. There's something about God that just demands not just a part of us, but all of us. And what you discover is that God has some things that he desires of us. He says, let the wicked forsake their ways. Let the unrighteous let go of their thoughts. You know, in a relationship, there comes a moment when you have to decide, you know, you're interested in this person and, and you have to decide if, if you want to keep growing in love and in intimacy with this person, that you're going to have to let go of some things in order to step, you're going to have to let go of some things in order to step into what's next, right? This is how it works. Right, Mark, this is how it worked when you, when you saw Corinne, like uh, you're interested in a girl and you take her on a few dates and, and you really like her and you realize that you're gonna have to let go of some things. If this thing's gonna, if this thing's gonna succeed, you realize that you're not gonna look, you're not gonna keep looking for another girl, right? You're not gonna date other girls while you're dating this girl. That's not how it works. If your dad didn't tell you that, now you know. You're gonna let go of the control that comes, doing what you want, when you want it, and when you step into a relationship, you have to let go of some things if you want this thing to thrive. You can't be one foot in and one foot out. You gotta be all in if you want this thing to grow. And the same thing with Jesus. The exact same thing with the Lord. And as we come to him, you know, we come to him and we're thirsty and we come to him and we're sinful and we come to him and we don't look anything like Jesus. And that's the beauty about who God is. He doesn't tell us, clean up your life and then come to me. He says, no, just come to me. And then as you see God, you desire to become more like him. And you realize that there are some things that God asks us to part from so we can keep being in relationship with him. Now, I love Ephesians or Galatians chapter five. You know, I wanted to, um, to just read this to us. There are lots of places because I just kept asking, okay, um, I just kind of sensed that in, in our culture, we needed to be very black and white about it because even in our Christian culture, we can, we can justify things. We can, we can go, ah, oh, if it feels right, then it's right. And I wanted just to kind of ground us in, in the truth of what it looks like to, to, to live life that's displeasing to the Lord. What are those wicked, what are those unrighteous thoughts? And, and there are several places in scripture where he really spells this out. But this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before, listen to this, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I 
You know, a couple of these things, I don't know if any of those just really struck you, convicted you personally. I think it's interesting that, that Paul starts with sexual immorality because he knows, not just in the culture, you know, in the first century that this was running rampant, it continues to be the same case for today. Sexual immorality, you know, we justify things, we do what we want, right? Let me define this for us. You know, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend, sleeping with your boyfriend, it's sexual immorality. If you're not married, if you're dating but, and you're not having sex but you're doing everything else and you're not married, it's sexual immorality. If you're looking at, at porn, it's sexual immorality. I think about when, when I was younger and I would do this and maybe this is, the Lord was like bringing this to my attention. I remember I would go and see movies that I knew that there was nudity in or I knew that there was gonna be a place and it wasn't explicit porn, but I knew that I was gonna catch a glimpse of something and it's sexual immorality. He talks about idolatry. You know, and, and I guess, my guess is that the majority of you, you don't have a wooden statue in your house, right? That's, that's carved down like they did in the first century that you're offering incense to and bowing down to and praying. But, but you think about what an idol is. It's the thing that you put your hope in. The thing that provides for you or that, that you think provides for you. And so bringing that into our context, what are the idols that we have? Our careers, Man, it is so easy to, to set everything else aside, your devotion to the kingdom, your family, your friends, because you are so just about your career. It's what you think about. It's what gives you hope. It's what per- secures you in the future. And, and, and maybe you haven't thought about it like that, but it's an idol. Maybe it's not a career. Maybe it's a relationship. Where you go, oh man, you've, you're putting all of your hope in, in one day finding someone putting all of your hope in the person that's, uh, that, that's living with you? It's idolatry. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about idolatry. He talks about hate. You know, is there someone in your family? Is there a coworker? And maybe you wouldn't say, hey, I hate them. But man, every time you're around them, you just don't want to be around them. Or drunkenness. And how easy we get here, right? I've had a long week, I'm tired. I'll have one drink, I'll have two, I'll have three, I'll have four, and then it's out of control. And I love what, what Paul says to us, what Isaiah says to us in Isaiah chapter 55. God doesn't say, hey, come to me if you're thirsty and keep doing the things that you wanna do. And he also doesn't say, get your life together and then come to me. He says, come to me. See me, know me, forsake your ways. You know, the other day we were in um, our den. My son Jones was doing something. I don't even remember what he was doing. Um, and I called him out on it. I'm like, Jones, quit doing that. He's like hitting his sister or doing something. I don't remember. And instantly he, he, I called him out and he gets embarrassed and then he hides behind the couch. And I'm like, Jones, come here, bud. Come here. 
And he won't even come. He won't even come to me. And, and he, I sit him down in my lap and I'm like, look at me in the eyes, bud. And he looks at me and I said, I just wanted you to stop doing that. We're good. Like, I'm not going to hang over this over your head. Like, I'm not going to remind this. I'm not going to remind you 10 years ago that you did this. Like, I just want you to stop doing this because it's harmful. It's not good for you. It's not good for our family. And you think about that. Like, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, and maybe you're a Christian and, and you know that's what's happening and maybe you're not a Christian, but, but you're, you're, you just find yourself where things that you've always done, you're, you're now starting to experience like shame or guilt or, or these things and it's the Lord that is working in your life. And so often what happens when the Lord starts convicting us, we do exactly like my son Jones did. God calls us out and what do we do? We get embarrassed and then we hide and we don't hide behind our couch because we've gotten better at that. But we'll hide from God, we'll hide from each other. Just quit coming on Sundays. Pull away from our house churches. We, hide. we know how to hide. And God looks at us. He's like, I don't want you to live in shame. I don't want you to hide. I just want, to stop. I just want you to stop doing things that are harmful to you. Factions. They destroy unity. When, when a pocket of people, when we, when we get away and we, and, we, and we start working against the unity of the body, that's a faction. When there's gossip and there's slander, it's a faction. Jealousy, man, when nothing will steal the joy from your life like jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition. Isaiah keeps going. Thank the Lord. This is what he says in the second part of verse seven. He says, let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We like to think that we're pretty noble people, us Christians. We're pretty kind, we're pretty forgiving. Let me ask you a few questions, okay? You ever been made fun of? Have you ever had anyone that said something about you or your character that stung you? Let me ask you another question and don't answer out loud. Who was it? Who was it that slandered you? Who was it that made you feel small? Who was it that hurt you? All right. How long did it take for you to, to picture that person? It didn't take Sarah very long. She knew it. <laughs> didn't take me very long either. When you think about that person, do you have all the warm fuzzies inside? You thinking about the Christmas gift that you're gonna get them here in a couple months? And this is my point. As much as we don't like to hold a grudge or harbor bitterness or hatred, that is our way. We hold on to things. We remember, sometimes actively, we nurse. We destroy them in our heads. I'm undefeated in my head with people, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just putting someone in your place? I've never lost an argument. Like, and that's not the way of God. Your ways 
are not my ways. We Christians, we walk all over our God. We do whatever we want because we know that no matter what, God will always be there. Like we are just this unattainable person and, and God is like this low life you know, person that, that, that God's getting the better end of the deal in the relationship. That's how we treat God. We walk all over our God because we know that he'll always be there. We ignore God. We ignore his commands. We ignore his desires. We don't stand up for God. We misrepresent our God. And his response to us is mercy. To freely forgive us. And you see this all over the Bible. When Jesus was on the cross in Luke chapter 23, people are spitting on him, people are mocking him, people are walking by saying, if you really were the son of God, and what does Jesus say? He's hanging there, there's blood coming from his hands, he's, he's, he's doing everything he can just to, to, to stay alive, crown of thorns, he's being mocked in front of everyone. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What kind of a God is like that? Psalm chapter 103, verses 10 through 12. Someone turn there real fast. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. First person there, just stand up and read it. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. First person there, doesn't matter. Stand up and read it. Someone else, stand up and read that. Psalm 103. Thanks, Casey. Verses 10 through 12. Isaiah 43, verses 25, or verses 25, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. He says, he will remember our sins no more. What kind of a God is like that? A God who doesn't hold the things over us. A God that is so very different than us. And the question I've been asking is, why does he keep putting up with us? Why does a holy God spend any time on us when you've hurt him so deeply over and over again? You know, you bring this into a different context. Your, the job that you have, you know, think about, I was talking to a friend a little while ago and he was telling me about someone in his company that, that made a mistake and it cost their company lots of money. They got fired. It's like, that's a reality, right? Or you think about this, you talk bad about your boss and your boss finds out and at best you're gonna be on their radar and not in a, ga and not in a good way, right? Think about it in a relationship, you cheat on them, you cheat on them twice, you cheat on them three times. That bridge is burned, right? And yet with God, how often 
How often are we unfaithful? How many times a day are we unfaithful? And yet God keeps providing. He keeps pouring out his spirit. He keeps allowing us to keep working on his behalf. Think about that. Why? Verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Listen to verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And so what is he talking about there? I think a big part of verse 11 is Isaiah is wanting to give us just a big understanding of who God is, that, that what God wants, God gets. That this is his power, that this is his abilities. But, but in this particular context, I think he's honing in on something else. He seems to be talking about this word that goes forth from his mouth and, and that word being his promises. He says, the divine promises that, that come out of my mouth, these will I accomplish. That when I declare something, I am the God that knows how to execute, that knows how to make it happen, that this is who I am. So don't miss this. The the reason that we can come to God, Christopher, the reason you can come into the presence of God, even after we've sinned, Ginger, even when we know better, the reason we can come into the presence of God is because of his promises that he welcomes people who are not satisfied with how they've been living. That he welcomes people who have stumbled. That he welcomes people who are thirsty for him because they've been drinking what the world has been giving and it's only made them more thirsty. Second Corinthians verse one, Second Corinthians chapter one verse 20 says that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus. What he's saying here is that, is that we can come to God only because of Jesus. Because before we were even born, God knew there would be a moment when we realized that we wanted God, but we weren't worthy of God. He knew that there would be a moment when we would see God for who God is and all of his kindness and all of his glory and all of his beauty, and yet we would look at our lives and we would see all the sin, right? I don't have to, 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 to ask you to, to remember all of your sins. Like the enemy does a good enough job of that, right? We know the things that we've done. And so we look at this God and we realize that there's no way that we could have this God. And before we were even born, Christ died for our sins to forgive us so that nothing could stand in the way of us hearing God and knowing God and living for God. Why? Why? Because God wants us. And it doesn't make any sense. You know, Andrew and I were talking about this. This is so crazy. But God wants us. God wants us. He wants you. And he wants your neighbors. And he wants the people in your family that you can't stand to be around. He wants us. Because we are God's creation. 
And just like I want a relationship with all of my kids, even Meredith, as rascally as she's being right now. <laughs> she laughs. She knows it's true. I want them. I want relationship with them now. I want relationship with my kids forever. Selfishly, I'm praying for my kids to come to know Jesus, partially because I know that life with Jesus is just the best way to live, but partially because I want to be with them. God wants us. God wants us. Do you see? Do you see the way that God's been so patient with you? Do you see how harmful our sin is to us? Do you see what it does? Do you see what happens when we're one foot in and one foot out? Do you see? Do you see? One of my favorite times is what we're about to step into as a family. Where we're gonna break the bread, we're gonna eat a piece of bread, we're gonna drink a cup of juice. And you can do this by yourself if that's what you need to do, but, but it's a meal. It's meant to be shared with people. And so I want to invite you to, to take communion with some people around you this morning. That as you take the piece of bread, as you take the, the cup of juice, if the Lord is convicting you about a sin, share that with someone before you leave today, okay? Confession is so terrifying until you do it, until you bring that thing into the light. And then it's so freeing. I invite you, don't hide. Don't be like Jones, don't hide behind the couch. Father's calling, come sit on my lap. Look me in the eyes, I'm not gonna hold this over you. During communion, if you come here and, and you just need some prayer this morning, Nana and Jack and some other people are gonna be in the back, we'd love to pray for you. I don't know if this is the way it was that if you grew up going to church, but so often the, the people that re responded for prayer like really messed up their lives, right? And that's not the culture we have here at our church. You receive prayer when, when you're empty. You receive prayer when you're tired. You receive prayer when you just need a brother or a sister to, to put their hand on your shoulder and to pray blessing over you and the Lord meets you in that place. And so if you just, if you need some prayer, if you're tired, if you're weak, go and receive some prayer and be blessed. And as we take communion, who are the people in your life that need to see this God? And will we be the type of people that will believe in the God that can do anything? Who are the people in your life right now that are so unbelievably far from God? And unless God does something drastic in their life. You go, there's no way they will come to know Jesus. There's, there's no way they will ever be beside me in worship. Do you realize that we serve a limitless God? Will you have faith in the, in, in the God that, that, that has changed your life? God that, that met you in all of your brokenness, will you believe for as long as it takes? Who are the people in your life that need to see this God? And in communion, let's pray for them. Let's think about those people. Let's pray for them. Let's bring them before our Father. And then as we leave this week, I'm gonna again challenge you to, to pick a day, to set aside one day this week to pray and to fast. 
can be any day. Andrew wrote a, um, a, a prayer guide for us this week, and it's all about seeing. He's going to put it on the blog, put it on our, our, our Facebook page. We set aside one day this week to, to set aside something. Maybe it's food, maybe it's social media, maybe it's something else to, to ask God, God, would you, help, would you help me to see you? Would you help our church family to see you? Would you help our city to see you? And there's something about us as a church family that goes, hey, we're going to take this period and we're going to really, we're going to have some skin in the game. We're going to fast. We're going to do this together because we really care, God, not just about playing this game, not just about playing it safe. We want to see people come to know you, Jesus. And we can't make them see. And all throughout Scripture, there's something about prayer, there's something about fasting that God sees. So will you join in this week? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll take communion. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every child, for every man, every woman here. God, I pray that if anything that was said this morning that was not from you, I ask that it would be forgotten. God, I ask that the things that were spoken, um, God, from your mouth and your heart, that those things would stick and bear fruit, not just in our lives, but for the benefit of those around us. God, would you help us to see you for who you are? Open our eyes, God. Open our church's eye. Open our city's eyes. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us. You alone made a way for us. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise that you deserve. In your name we pray, amen.